Father, please speak to us this morning through your word, through my words. Father, please change us by your spirit. Amen. What is at the heart of your gospel? What is at the heart of your gospel? If I asked you what was the most important thing about the good news that you believe, what would you say that it is? What's key? Or perhaps more revealingly, if I asked your friends or family, what was at the heart of the good news that you believed, that you'd told them, what would they say? If you're not a Christian here this morning, what is at the heart of the message that you have heard from Christians? Is it, perhaps, Jesus died so that we can be forgiven? That is wonderfully true. Is it, we are sinners in need of a saviour? Again, wonderfully true. Is it, you can have a personal relationship with the one who made you? That is gloriously true. What is at the heart of the Christian message? There are many good things that we could say. The death of Jesus is celebrated all over the world every Sunday, particularly as Christians take part in the Lord's Supper. The gospel does indeed mean that we can know God and know him personally. The Holy Spirit transforms lives, and as he transforms lives, transformed people, transforms societies. There are many good things that we could say about the heart of the Christian message. There are many good options, but Paul says something to the church in Corinth in this chapter. He says, if we don't have Jesus' resurrection, then all of those good things, everything that I've just listed, they're nothing. They're useless. They're baseless. Without the resurrection, the Christian faith is empty. In fact, in Paul's words, you have believed in vain shocking words. What is at the heart of your gospel? Paul says to us in this chapter that if the resurrection isn't there, along many other things, well, if the resurrection isn't there, then we might as well go home. And so in this chapter, Paul wants to assure us the resurrection of Jesus took place. Jesus has been raised from the dead. The good news that Christians have for the world is one with resurrection hope. It is the promise of new life. In a world that is in denial about death, resurrection hope is what people need. And so for the next three weeks, we are looking over this chapter in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15. And in this chapter, Paul takes us through the implications of Jesus' resurrection. Next week, we'll be looking at how Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. The week after, we'll be looking at how Jesus' resurrection is the model for our resurrection. But we begin this week with... Paul's introduction, if you like. Uh, so have a look at verse 1 in our passage. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul says he wants to remind the Corinthians of the gospel. Paul preached it to them and they received it past. Then they took their stand on it and are saved, present. So why the need to remind them? It's hinted at in verse 2. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. If you hold firmly, how easy is it sometimes to drift from the gospel. Truths that we once held dearly seem less relevant. Jesus becomes subtly less precious to us. Other things eclipse him. We're like magpies. We go after the shiny things. Uh, in, in our family, we talk about the shiny things in terms of uh, the screens that draw us in. I know that this is happening to me when I will stay up for that one more episode at the expense of a quiet time the next morning. <coughs> shiny screens, shiny people that can so easily outshine the glory of God in our hearts if we let them. But in reality, the gospel is far more glorious than all of these things, and so we need to be reminded. The preacher, uh, Richard Sibbs, talked about the sunshine of the gospel, the sunshine that melts our cold hearts, that wins us back to the Lord. Paul says in this passage, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to it. Not to say that actually Christians uh, can ultimately be lost, but one of the ways God keeps us going as Christians is to hear the gospel again and again. We are refreshed by hearing it afresh. It is good for us to be reminded. That's why we meet together. One reason why we meet together each week. We sing songs that help embed the gospel deep down in our hearts. We share the Lord's Supper together. It is good to be reminded of the gospel. And particularly in this passage... Paul wants to remind us of how the resurrection is at the center of things. So looking down again at verse 3. For what I, Paul, received, I passed on to you, Corinthians, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. What's at the heart of your gospel? Paul tells us what's at the heart of his. It is Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. So firstly, Jesus' death. Verse 3, Christ died for our sins. Christ died. That is, the eternal Son of God, who from before the creation of the world 
was being loved perfectly by his father, one God forever. The one through whom the entire cosmos was made. The one who the writer of the Hebrews says is the same yesterday, today and forever. This one became a mortal human being so that he could die. Christ died. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, died. The one who gives us every breath stopped breathing. Wisdom himself's brain stopped working. The eyes of the light of the world went dark. Christ died for our sins. For the pride that keeps you from coming to him to say sorry. For the spiritual apathy that keeps you from him. For the abortion that hardly anyone knows about. For the internet history that you delete every night. For the cold anger and the hot rage. For the bitterness of resentment and the sweetness of lies. Christ died for your sins. And for mine. Next, verse 4. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Burial seems a slightly odd thing to include, um, but the implication is that Jesus' dead body really was in a tomb, and that shows us the kind of resurrection that we're talking about here. When Jesus was raised, his tomb was empty. If you'd have been there, you'd have seen the grave clothes. The body was gone. Jesus didn't just rise again in the hearts of his followers, as some people have put it. There was a body. It was dead, and then it wasn't. Paul wants to emphasize the reality of the resurrection. The author, John Updike, put it this way. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh. Ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. God raised Jesus from the dead. This is as much part of the gospel as the cross. God tells us that our sin against him deserves death, and so Jesus dies the death that we deserve. But God also promises new life to those who will trust him. And so Jesus rises again, raised to that new life that God has promised. We'll unpack this over the next couple of weeks. But for now, 
just to say we share in both Jesus' death and his resurrection. Our sins are paid for as Jesus dies, and we receive new life as Jesus is raised. If he is ours, and we are his, then what happens to him happens to us. Imagine a needle pulling a thread through a dark cloth. Well, in the same way, Jesus passes through the dark cloth of death. And like the thread, where he goes, we follow. And so, his resurrection is not just the guarantee that the cross worked. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. What's at the heart of Paul's gospel? Well, it's not just being snatched from the jaws of death through the cross. It is being raised up to new resurrection life. And in this passage, we see the resurrection life begins to work in us now. Looking down at verse 8, Paul writes, Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul describes himself as abnormally born, and the idea is quite a graphic one. It's the idea of miscarriage or stillbirth. It's deliberately graphic. Then in verse 9, Paul says that it was he who persecuted the church of God. And yet, verse 10, he can speak of the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work bringing new life even to a stillborn persecutor of the church. The resurrection empowers Paul to work harder even than the other apostles. It wasn't me, says Paul, it was the grace of God in me. That's what the resurrection does. That is the grace of the gospel. To people like Paul, to people like us, powerless in our sins, helpless in the face of death, undeserving of forgiveness, Jesus dies in our place and then rises with resurrection life that he gives, that he gives to us, he gives to all who trust him. Resurrection life, resurrection power now and on into eternity. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is what is at the heart of the Christian message. We are all facing death because of our rejection of God. But in Jesus, God has made a way for all of the wrongs in our life to be made right. We've rejected him, but Jesus, Jesus accepts all who come to him acknowledging their need. We are facing death, but Jesus' resurrection tells us that there is the hope of eternal life. Do you know him? Do you know that forgiveness? Do you know that new life? Have you tasted what it is 
to have the power of Jesus' resurrection at work in you, awakening your dull heart to the glories of the gospel. Do you know that joy of new life? Perhaps you're not sure, as it seems some of the Corinthians were not sure. In the start of next week's passage, um, it becomes clear that uh, verse 12, Paul says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? There seems to be doubt in some of the Corinthians' minds, and so Paul goes even further to emphasize the concrete, solid reality of Jesus' resurrection. Verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Jesus died. Jesus was buried Jesus was raised to life, and then Jesus was seen. Jesus' resurrection is a fact of history. When he died, his disciples had run away in fear. Most famously, Peter, who denied him three times and fled. That same Peter, um, referred to here as Cephas, here he is saying that he has met with the risen Jesus. He's now willing to face torture and ultimately death, where before he had fled in terror. The same goes for the rest of Jesus' disciples. In fact, by the time this letter was written, it's likely that some of them had already faced death. Then verse 6, more than 500 people. Now, can you imagine being in that crowd, 499 other people there, and... Someone whispers to you, hang on, that can't be. No. That, we saw him on the cross. That can't be Jesus, can it? And somebody else whispers, but it is. 500 people, no chance of hallucination. Jesus was there, raised to life. They met him. If you'd been one of the recipients of this letter originally, you could have asked some of them. Most of them are still alive. Next, verse 7, James, uh, Jesus' brother, who during uh, his ministry before the cross, James had rejected Jesus. In fact, he'd called him insane for what he was saying. And here he is, believing in the resurrection, an early church leader who, again, eventually will go on to be martyred for what he believes. We've already seen something of the transformation in Paul's life, because here's the thing. The reality of the resurrection does change everything. There's a, a famous aphorism uh, about the two certainties in life, death and taxes. You hear the phrase, death comes to us all. You're born, you live, you die, except not anymore. There is a man in history for whom death was not the end. 
The resurrection changes everything. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, the reality of the resurrection is something that you have got to grapple with. What do you make of the empty tomb, of the many witnesses? Many people here will have heard or maybe read the books of uh, people down the ages who have set out to try and prove that the resurrection didn't happen. Uh, Frank Morrison, a lawyer, Lee Strobel, a journalist, both ended up writing books to convince others of what they'd come to believe to be true, that Jesus did rise. There is real resurrection power at work to convince minds, to melt hearts, and to transform lives. That is the reality of the resurrection. But more than that, Paul wants us to know the centrality of the resurrection. He wants to uh, convince us that the resurrection is central to the Christian message. It always has been. So verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The scriptures, that is uh, what we now have as the Old Testament. They have always taught a gospel of death and resurrection. In uh, Job 19, Job uh, plagiarizes Handel um, and sings, I know that my redeemer... Job wrote it originally, Handel's the plagiarist. Um, I know that my redeemer lives, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Or David, writing in Psalm 16, that God will not abandon me to the grave, nor will he let his holy one see decay. In fact, Peter picks up on that in uh, the first sermon in Acts 2 and says, David's prophesying about Jesus' resurrection. Resurrection hope is central to the Old Testament scriptures, and it's central to the apostles' message too in the New Testament. So verse 3, Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you. What he'd received from the other apostles, he passed on. Or verse 11 Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. The gospel of death and resurrection is central to the scriptures, it's central to the apostolic message, and it's central to what the Corinthians believed. Verse 1, this is the gospel that they received. Verse 11, this is the gospel they believed. Death and resurrection, cross and empty tomb. Sins paid for and new life achieved. Perfect forgiveness and resurrection hope. What's at the heart of your gospel? Paul wants us to know the centrality of the resurrection. And so as we draw to a close uh, here this morning, let's ask ourselves... How central is the resurrection in our gospel? We may say it's there, but how central is the resurrection to our gospel, the gospel that we believe, the gospel that we share with others? Is the resurrection something that we are excited about, that we celebrate? Because it seems to me that we live in a world that is in denial, denial about death, We ignore it. 
our society all too quickly uh, pushes our elderly out of sight. We use euphemistic phrases like passed away. Uh, for many of us, particularly the young, we hold death at a distance. It's never, never really impinged on us. It's not the, the imminent reality that it has been for many, many people around the world today, or most people down history. We ignore it, or we trivialize it. We turn it into entertainment. Look at the popularity of murder mystery shows, which I have to admit I also love. <laughs> or James Bond, the license to kill a secret agent who thinks nothing before dispatching his enemies, and we think nothing of it too. We trivialize death, or we sentimentalize it. Last uh, week, or a couple of weeks ago, I was at a funeral for a lady um, from our church in London, and her daughter said, well, you know why it's rained this morning? It's because mum knew we wouldn't look after her garden. And we laugh, but we've sentimentalized death. It's as if death had given her mum some kind of divine power, but in reality, she was there in the coffin. Or perhaps worst of all, we celebrate death. Think of the positive language used by pro-abortionists or pro-euthanasia activists about the right to choose to end a life. The one thing our culture struggles to do is to come to terms with the gruesome reality of death. We sang earlier about death's hellish night. And that is something that our culture is in denial over. Because to admit that would be to realize that there is no hope. But we rail against that, don't we? I don't know if you saw the film Interstellar a few years ago. It had a constant refrain, the poem, um, rage, rage against the dying of the night. We rage against it because our experience of life tells us that death feels wrong. It is not natural. It is an intrusion. It feels like a curse. It is not the way that things are meant to be. And of course, that is because it is a curse. It is wrong. It is an intrusion into the good reality of God. It is a curse because of human sinfulness. Death comes into the world because of human rebellion and sin. And yet God steps in and provides the solution. There is one who entered into death and then rose again in resurrection life, promising the same for all who will trust in him. Isn't that the gospel, the good news that our world desperately needs? The gospel that we need. Here is love that conquered evil, Christ the firstborn from the grave, Death has failed to be found equal to the life of him who saves. In the valley of our darkness dawned his everlasting light. Perfect love in glorious radiance has repelled death's hellish night. Praise the Lord. Every last bit of this gospel, death and resurrection, is gloriously true. Let me pray for us.
Father God, your gospel gives us hope. Whatever we face, suffering, struggling, even the reality of death, thank you that because of the resurrection of Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you for the resurrection power that you promise to all who will turn to you. Father, in the valley of our darkness, the valley of our cold hearts, would your resurrection everlasting light dawn. Amen.